Welcome to the South Mims U podcast. It's spring 2020 and we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Our entire university has gone into lockdown, our students have gone home, and our academics are self-isolating. I'm in my small flat with my wife and our pet marmoset, Tingle. Hello, Tingle. It's a bit cramped, but we're surviving. Across the world, couples are spending more time with each other than they're used to doing, and that means they're finding out things about each other that they had tried to forget or never knew in the first place. Perhaps they're realising they'd rather not spend time together. We thought it would be the right time to talk to a man who embraces isolation and the locked-down lifestyle. Staying inside and venturing out only on rare occasions is normal life for him. That's because he deliberately avoids his fellow men and women from a philosophical point of view. He is Professor Phineas Oliphant, from our Department of Philosophy, and he specialises in misanthropy. He's on the line now. Quiet, Tingle. Good afternoon, Professor. Good afternoon. May I call you Phineas? I would rather you didn't. It's Professor Oliphant. I think formality is a good thing at these troubled times. In fact, I think it's a good thing at all times. The breakdown of formality is one of the factors that has brought about the degeneracy of society overall. Well, before we go any further, perhaps we need to establish exactly what misanthropy is. Well, perhaps we do. I've spent 20 years trying to do that, but the dictionary definition is a dislike of humankind. I would go further and describe it as a profound dislike of humankind. All humankind? Yes. Including me? Well, you are human, I think. I detect a touch more than the average resemblance to the simian, but, broadly speaking, human? Uh, Well, yes, yes, I I, I think so. Well, including you, then. But you've never met me. I don't have to. I can imagine you perfectly well. And so far, you've fitted your profile exactly. Right. Uh, Well, we, we may come back to that. There really is no point in doing that. No point at all. Well, isn't that nihilism? Oh, please, you're just digging your hole deeper. Stick to the interview as agreed. OK, OK. So you are part of the uh, philosophy department, aren't you? Yes, terrible people. And how many are in the area of misanthropy? Three, including me, which is two too many. They are, um, I'm just checking, uh, uh, Dr Greaves Maloney and Professor Scout Glasspole from America. Uh, what are they like? I don't know. I've never met them. So how do you come up with the misanthropy course, then? Well, we don't. We run three separate competing courses. Students have to decide which one to follow, and then they stick to it. So there's no crossover. Well, what about lectures and seminars and so on? Well, we have as few as possible. The students shun each other, as they should, and most teaching is done online with the cameras switched off so that we don't have to see them and they don't have to see us. I would prefer instruction to be by post, but I'm told that we have to keep up with the times. No idea why. What about the actual degree day, when they hand out the degrees? I mean, the ceremony? We ignore it. We're given a special dispensation. And our students just, they just don't go. It saves a fortune on gowns, tickets, photographs, all that nonsense. The certificates are just posted to them. I suppose now would be a good time to discuss parsimony. 
would it? Well, you talk about saving money. Is there a connection between misanthropy and penny-pinching? Absolutely not. Misanthropists are no more miserly than the next man or woman. I hardly ever leave my house because it is beautifully and richly appointed and I like it. My study is based on a 19th century gentleman's club. I have a leather armchair with a real fire in front of which I toast crumpets. I have an up-to-the-minute computer system allowing me to do as much of my work as possible online, minimising the amount of human contact. There are lavishly framed 18th century landscapes on the book-lined walls. I have a well-stocked drinks cabinet with lots of the finest brandies in it. Most of my books are first editions. I have a thick Persian carpet which cost a fortune. I love just sitting and looking at it. I can lose myself for hours in its exotic silken threads. You're not married, are you? Good God, no. I have a cleaner. Well, do you get on with her? No! I met her once. I go out for my constitutional walk when she comes in and I leave her money on the sideboard. Carved oak. Fine arrangement. What about meals? I cook for myself. I took an online cordon bleu course a few years ago. My specialities are pheasant under glass and lobster thermidor. Well, so you cook cordon bleu every night, do you? No, 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 only on special occasions. Normally I have food delivered. And I assume you never meet the delivery people either? Obviously not. They leave it in the porch and I pay online. So self-isolating is really what you do normally? Absolutely. It is a wonderful way to live. I hope lots of people will take to it and we will have a brave new misanthropic world when this virus epidemic, which is an example of the folly of humanity, by the way, is over. Do all misanthropists live alone? Not at all. I think misanthropists, such as myself, confident in their misanthropy, tend to live alone. I think more tentative misanthropists starting to find their way or unconfident misanthropists, will live among others so that their misanthropic views will be constantly reinforced. Well, how do you mean? A simple visit by a tentative misanthropist to a particular high street bargain clothing store, whose name I forget, should do the trick. Isn't that a bit classist? I don't care if it is. But if you want to be egalitarian, the same misanthropist could go to a middle-class rugby club dinner especially after a win. Same effect. Aren't both of them just an example of people with stressful lives letting off a bit of steam? Perhaps, but we are not kettles. So you consider yourself above all that? No, 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 you don't understand. I do not consider myself to be above anything or to be anything. Misanthropists can be of any class, income, status... What unites them is that they look around themselves, whatever their situation, and shudder, for one reason or another, depending on their misanthropic angle. Some try to distance themselves from it all, and others remain in a state of fascination, sometimes for reasons they can't even explain. That's what the studies are all about. So what is your misanthropic angle? Well, I'm still working on it. It's the work of a lifetime. Read my books. What first attracted you to misanthropy? I mean, were you born a misanthropist? Were, uh, were your parents misanthropists? 
several questions there. You need to organise your thoughts more. Oh, OK, OK. Well, in order then, were your parents misanthropists? No. There is no evidence that misanthropy is genetic. My father was a successful salesman who dealt in expensive and pointless motor cars, so my mother did not need to work. She was an ex-glamour model, married my father and became one of those uh, ladies who lunch, I think they're known as. Parasites, really. Did you love your parents? I love them as a son. As a misanthrope, one's emotions are mixed. One can dislike them in a detached way while remaining attached to them in a personal way. I've written several papers on the subject. Professor Glasspole has as well, hasn't she? Has she? Well, I haven't read them. They will be wrong. Oh. Well, were you a misanthrope as a child? No, not at all, no. What was your ambition? To be a circus clown. I wanted to entertain people. Really? That's that's funny. I mean, I don't mean... Um, Is it? Well, yes. For a misanthrope to be a circus clown... I was not a misanthrope then. Please pay attention or there is no point in having this interview. Oh, well, sorry, sorry. So, did you become an academic straight away? No, no, no. I did become a circus clown. Oh, you did? Your parents didn't try and stop you, then? No, they should have, but they were very liberal. Far too liberal, in my view. So you, you ran away to join the circus? Well, as I said, there was no running away. I just went. Sorry, well, that's just a figure of speech. If humanity was more careful about its figures of speech we would probably not be in the mess we are now. OK. So you were in the circus, and was there any sign of misanthropy yet, or, or not? No, not at all. I was a clown until I was about 30. I was quite good, too. And did you have a name? Bobo. <laughs> any reason for that? Not really. Coco the clown is famous, so I went for Bobo. It could have been Dodo. But that's an extinct bird, so I thought it inappropriate. Bobo worked for me. And did you have big shoes and crazy hair? Uh, did you have all that white makeup? Oh, yes. All clowns have to have their own makeup, not necessarily white. You come up with your own look and then you paint it on an egg. And that's you. No one else is allowed to copy it. Did any other clowns end up as misanthropes? Not that I'm aware of. One or two were depressives, but that's another myth that needs exploding. Misanthropes are not necessarily depressed, though some are. I am not. What converted Bobo the Clown into a misanthrope? Table manners. I'm sorry? It was a small thing, but it was like a snowball rolled from the top of a hill. It just got bigger and bigger. Please elaborate. I remember it as if it were yesterday. We were sitting at the communal dinner table in the circus and one of the weightlifters was sitting opposite me. I, I can't remember exactly what the meal was, but I do know that it involved mashed potato. And he was eating it with his mouth open. Awful. Quite disgusting. Watching him almost made me physically sick. I thought of that Hamlet soliloquy. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason. How infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. Well, it was very well delivered. So there he was, this admirable piece of work, eating with his mouth open, and I thought, what a travesty. I looked around me at all of them sitting there, eating, some with their mouths open, and I thought, 
It just came to me. I don't want to be part of this anymore. None of it. So I left and started on my misanthropic path. And I felt as if I had come home. Well, there and then? There and then. And so what did you do next? The obvious thing was to get away from it all. And the first thing that goes through any misanthrope's mind in that situation is to become a lighthouse keeper. Is it? Yes, yes, it's a well-worn misanthropic path. How did it go? It didn't. By then it was a closed misanthropic path. Lighthouses haven't been manned for years. Also, they would often have up to three families looking after one light, so you would live closely with others. Not the idea at all. So what was your next step? What I was trying to do here was to get away from humanity as much as possible. So I decided to become a shepherd, to tend the sheep up in the hills. Do they still have shepherds? They did then. I think they still do in some places. And nobody much wanted to do it, so it was quite easy to get work. I was a shepherd in the Yorkshire Dales. I made sure I was in an unattractive dale so there wouldn't be any tourists around. A lot of the dales are very picturesque. I didn't want any of that. And did it work out? It did to begin with. I had quite a large flock and they were very easy to tend. People say that sheep are silly and boring and so on. That's not true. They all have distinctive and different personalities. And in the end, that was my undoing. Well, how so? With their different personalities, they were almost human. So inevitably, I started to dislike them. Only a little to begin with, but the more I got to know them, the more human they became in my eyes and the more I disliked them. So it had to stop. I remember coming out of my cottage one day and seeing them spread out across the dale and feeling that familiar sense of loathing I thought I'd left behind. It was time to go. It must have been quite a big disappointment. It was. So what did you try next? Journalism. That's a bit of a surprise and very different. Now, there is a logic to it. I remember reading a local paper. They had them in those days. And reading the Sits Vac page, as they were called then, to see if there were any suitable jobs. There weren't. And I remember reading a column in the paper by some old codger with his picture on the top. It turned out all the local papers had one, usually wearing a hat or leaning on a stick or propping up a bar holding a pint. And he, it was always a he, would talk about people or events in the news and comment on them, basically criticise them. If a celebrity did something particularly stupid, he would comment in a common sense kind of way. You know, it wasn't like this in my day sort of thing. Homespun wisdom, but always critical. They still have those in the national papers. Well, I could never have got into one of those. And they had to be positive sometimes. But these, it was, broadly speaking, misanthropy, or the closest you could get. So I wrote some spec columns, sent them to one or two local papers, and soon I was in. The money was appalling, but it was an outlet. And what did you call yourself? Pete down the pub. And then there was, and another thing. That sort of thing. You get the idea. I was writing five at one go at one time. And did anyone realise it was all the same person? No, I changed the style and I went. So how did that lead to the University of South Mims? Well, I was happy doing those columns and I could have stayed with that, but all the local papers closed with the digital revolution. But I had got into professional writing, so I managed to move myself into teaching on a journalism course here at South Mims. And from there, it was a simple sideways step into the philosophy department. And there I founded the misanthropy school. And it was that easy to do, was it? Well, of course not. I was predictably thwarted at every turn by short-sighted, ignorant and stubborn academics. 
representative as they are of humanity as a whole, but I eventually won through. And how many misanthropy departments are there in the country as a whole? We are the only one. But a couple of universities in Yorkshire have started to show an interest uh, once they saw we ran at a large profit. And do you? Yes. As we put everything online and have no equipment overheads to speak of, our costs are very low. And are your courses popular? Yes, reassuringly so. There are a lot of misanthropists out there, and this gives them a chance to give themselves full reign. And what jobs do misanthropes tend to go for once they've graduated? I mean, how do they use their skills? Well, like any philosophy degree, you can bend your misanthropic skills to many different areas. Black cab driving is an obvious calling. Computer software design attracts them too, especially as you can work from home and not see anyone if you do that. Banking is popular. There are hundreds of outlets. Is misanthropy on the rise? Without a doubt. Social media has helped there. It presents humanity in a, what's the expression? In-your-face way, which fuels misanthropy like little else. I assume you are not on social media. You assume correctly. I have nothing to learn from it. Well, Professor, I found this interview fascinating. I hadn't realised how much misanthropy there was out there. Do you have a message for people who are self-isolating? A message? That's not really in a misanthrope's line of business. All right, just this one. Look at it in a positive way. Imagine you have self-isolated by choice. Society does not normally encourage you to do this. Count the benefits. You may find you like it more than you thought. And is it true that you are offering a free online course on your website right now? No, it isn't. Oh, Okay then. Well, Professor Phineas Oliphant, thank you very much. And thank you for listening. And it's goodbye from me and from Tingle.